What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode six of Playing the Field. I am your host, Kurt Field, and this week I have a little bit different of an episode on the way for you guys. I had to get back to work for Monday morning really early out in Rhode Island. Uh, we're back a little bit in a limited capacity. Uh, we're still trying to figure things out in terms of what's going to happen both in the summer and in the fall in terms of college sports. Uh, it is a little bit wonky. It is kind of weird right now. But we're trying to make the best of it. So I am back in Rhode Island, and I was supposed to record with a guest, but I wasn't able to because I had to get back here pretty quickly. So uh, fear not, though. I have plenty of you know guests lined up in the upcoming weeks, so we will get back to you know being more regular with guests uh, going forward. But I had to be kind of quick on my feet and think about what I wanted to do for an episode this week because, you know, I couldn't record anymore with a guest and I ultimately decided to put it in your hands, your hands as the listeners, as my audience. Um, and we are going to do a Q and a, so I put out on social media, uh, earlier this week that I would be taking any questions on sports related topics that you had and I'd respond to them. So, you know, when I put the tw uh, the tweets out, the Instagram and the Facebook stuff out, I figured I'd get a couple questions. But you guys are incredible. You you guys are seriously incredible. I ended up getting an overwhelming response. Uh, I got eighty two messages uh, and questions, which is so much more than I was expecting. And you know, obviously, some of those questions were the same or very similar in nature. So what I ended up doing was writing them down and separating them into five categories because I just didn't want to be all over the place and be super random. So the categories that I have are uh, professional and college sport questions, coaching questions, questions from my athletic playing career, questions from my professional career in athletics, and then like a miscellaneous rapid fire category at the very end. So basically, I just grouped all those uh, into what I felt was the appropriate category, and then I'll go through each category separately. Uh, I felt like that was kind of the, the easiest way, the most organized way to do this. And for any of you who know me, you know that I'm kind of OCD about being organized. Um, so I, I hope that works for everybody. Um, if not, sorry. Uh, but enough small talk. Let's get into some of these questions. Okay, guys. So as I just mentioned, the first category that we're going to start with is professional and college sports questions. I feel like out of every category, uh, this is kind of the one that I got the most questions for. Again, you guys asked some really, really good questions, but I did um, fuse some of them together. So if you do, if you don't hear yours exactly, it's probably because I threw it in with another one. Um, but I'm just going to start going through these and uh, let's have some fun with it. So the first question I was asked are, who were your favorite players growing up? And I felt like the best way to answer this question was to give you one for each of my favorite sports teams, um, my Boston sports teams that I root for. So let's just start with the obvious, okay, Tom Brady. Y'all know how much I worship the man. Uh, he was by far my favorite Patriot growing up. Um, 
y'all know my thoughts. Aside from him, uh, for the, the Celtics, I was a huge Kevin Garnett fan. When Kevin Garnett got traded to the Celtics, I really, really, really started to get into basketball. I love Paul Pierce, you know, the truth, but Kevin Garnett was the guy that I looked at and I was like, wow. You know, when I think of Celtics, I think of Kevin Garnett uh, because he was who I looked up to growing up. The man was an absolute psychopath and I loved watching him play basketball. For the Red Sox, I feel like I'm supposed to say David Ortiz, and don't get me wrong, David Ortiz is the man. Like, he is a big-ass teddy bear, um, the most clutch hitter I've ever seen. But I think I'd be lying if I wasn't saying that my favorite Red Sox of all, Red Sox player of all time was Trot Nixon. Uh, you know, right fielder, hit fifth in the lineup, absolute, the original dirt dog. Um, I played outfield in high school, and I, I loved everything about playing in the outfield. And I think a lot of that stemmed from, you know, loving Trot Nixon so much. And I kind of sucked at playing in the infield, but that's a different story. And then um, I would say for my favorite uh, Bruin uh, of when I was growing up, I would say it was Zidane Charo, just because I didn't watch a ton of hockey growing up. I wasn't like huge into the sport. And Chara was just like this figure that you you knew. Um and he's like this Goliath. I don't know. He's like six eleven on skates or something ridiculous like that. So I'd say he was my favorite player growing up. Next question is rank the four major sports with one being the best. So I'm assuming we're going with, you know, the top four in, in the United States. So I have it as the NFL at number one. Believe it or not, I have the NHL at number two. I have the MLB and the NBA interchangeable at three and four. I know that's kind of a cop-out and maybe a surprise to you guys. Um, I don't know exactly what this question was implying, like rank them in terms of what. But I'm ranking those in terms of watchability for me. So I will watch football anytime it is on. I think watching hockey is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly fun especially in the playoffs. Like there's nothing like playoff hockey in my mind. Uh, and the MLB and and, and uh, NBA at three and four, I had as interchangeable because I, I really do like postseason baseball, but you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit down and watch every baseball game every night. I find it incredibly boring. Uh, shout out to my dad who can do that. I cannot. Um, and then the NBA, like, you know, I love basketball, but I would so much rather watch college basketball I'm not really the NBA man especially during the regular season there are some absolutely crappy 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 games like I don't know I just can't fully get behind it so I'm, I'm going again I'm using this question off of watchability so I have NFL NHL and then probably NBA and MLB in that order so the next question uh, is definitely the one that I was asked the most in all of the uh, messages that I got and a lot of you guys asked about specific sports, but I kind of grouped them all together. So the next question is, what are your thoughts on the return to professional sports? This is a loaded question, and I kind of want to go through them one by one. So let's start with the NHL because they announced their plans first for how they wanted to have the reopening of hockey. Um, but it kind of feels a little bit incomplete to me. So basically, we'll run through it. 24 of the league's 31 teams uh, are going to be in this reopening of the NHL. 
And what the NHL is going to do is they're going to pick two host cities, which they have not decided yet. And that's part of the reason I feel like it's incomplete. Uh, one for each conference. So all the Western teams will play at one facility. All the Eastern teams will play at one facility. And they m- mentioned that training camps won't start until July. I think I said, oh, crap, no earlier than July 10th, I think. And the way they kind of seeded it, I do like. So the top four teams in each conference will receive a bye into the playoffs. And they're going to have the top four teams are going to play like a round robin type of thing to determine the seeding one through four. And outside of the top four, you'll have the other eight teams in each conference. So five will play 12, six will play 11, seven will play 10, eight will play nine to determine who goes on to play the one through four seeds. So I think that's pretty creative. It gets a lot of teams involved. I think that's awesome. And then, you know, once you get into like the actual playoff type deal with the eight teams from each conference, it's going to be that best of seven series. But no dates were really included for when it would start or when the playoffs could potentially end. So, again, I just feel like it kind of feels a little bit incomplete. Like, I I respect the NHL for coming out and getting something out there. But at the same time, like, it just felt a little bit bit incomplete. Uh, Next, I want to hop over to the NBA where I think – Adam Silver did a fantastic job, uh, and everyone in the NBA did a fantastic job to kind of get this return-to-play plan set up. So right now, the NBA will send 22 teams to Orlando, Florida, and what they're going to do first is play like eight regular season games for all the 22 teams, and basically all that is doing is to to get like determined seating um, for the 16-team playoff field. And the season is not going to start till the end of July. So, like, there will be training camps and all that stuff to kind of get back into the groove first. Um, So, July 31st will be the start date of those regular season games. And then we'll go into the playoffs, which will end no later than October 12th, according to the tweet that I saw. And for the 22 teams that got invited, nine teams are in the East and 13 teams are in the West. And... I feel like that was basically any team that had a a chance to make the playoffs got invited. So, you know, that's why it's not even numbers on both sides. Um, And the way the NBA did it uh, is they're going to do a play-in tournament for the uh, eight seed in in each conference, but only if the number nine seed, I think, was like fewer than four games behind in the standings, just so it's it's fair. Because obviously the season got shortened. They're trying to make it as fair as possible. So, you know, if you're within four games of the eight seed, you'll have to you'll have to play for it. And um, I, I like it. I like what the NBA did. I like that it's going to be in one spot. Um, what I don't like, or I guess what I'm not sure about yet, is that the NBA mentioned also that for the 2020-2021 season, they're planning on playing a full 82 games starting on December 1st. And I just don't know how smart that is. Because, you know, it would feature a ton of back-to-back games and, you know, four games and five nights type of thing. I feel like player safety could be a little bit of an issue there. And it's just such a quick turnaround. So, you know, we'll revisit that at a later time. But that's the only part of it I was a little bit like, whoa. So after the NBA, uh, I want to talk about the MLB. What a train wreck. Honest to God. What a train wreck is the MLB. Uh, I honestly got have no idea what the hell they're doing. 
the players and the players association can't get even remotely on the same page with what the owners are asking for. And I feel like all in all, the league has royally botched our return to baseball as of right now. You know, you heard that July 4th could be the start of baseball and that would be so cool. You know, on July 4th, it'd be some fireworks. That's for sure. You know, cutting um, the national pastime going, I, I, I was all for it. Uh, 4th of July start for baseball would have been epic. Um, but you know, all of that hope I think is gone. Like that's out the window at this point. Um, if they can come to some sort of agreement, I guess the biggest holdup right now is the fact that players don't want to be, you know, receiving these ridiculously prorated salaries, I guess. And I think that's what the holdup is. But at the same time, like (laughs) you're not playing a full 162 game season. You know, there's talks of a 75-game season, which I'd be for. But, you know, as each passing day goes by, that seems less and less likely. What I've heard a lot is potentially a 50-game season, but I don't know about all that. I feel like that's a little bit whack. You know, you look at last year, the Washington Nationals won the World Series. After 50 games, the Washington Nationals were 19-31. and 31. So that just goes to show, you know, 50 games doesn't mean shit in the MLB. Like, it doesn't. There's a reason they play 162. So, I I don't know. The MLB needs to figure their crap out uh, because their sport and their season is becoming more and more irrelevant as each passing day goes by. So, you know, figure it out. And then lastly, with the NFL, it kind of seems if it's all systems go for getting teams back on the field for the preseason – but obviously with accommodations. So what I've read is like that the NFL is trying to make sure that everything is more safe for players and coaches. They'll be taking temperatures every day at the door before you can even enter the building. They're going to move lockers to be six feet apart. I don't exactly know how that's going to work, but that's what Diana Rossini reported the other day. Uh, there'll be no more than 15 players in a meeting at one time. Uh, and then I don't know if some of my sports junkies might have seen this, that the – uh, NFL, I guess football in general, is talking about making a visor that covers your entire face pretty much. I don't know about all that, but they want to limit breathing on each other. So obviously the NFL is trying to take as many precautions as possible. But with that being said, here's what makes absolutely zero sense to me. You're going to do all of that, all of that stuff from in the facility standpoint. And then you are going to let these grown ass men go out on the field and absolutely maul each other for a couple hours. And then when you get back in the building, you're like, you know, everyone stays six feet apart and all that crap. Like, like what does that make sense to anybody else? Or am I just being stupid? Because it really makes no sense to me. You're going to be safe inside, but you go outside. It's like, Oh, throw all that crap out the window. Now we're good. Now we're playing football. Like, I don't know. just seems a little wonky to me. So, you know, basically with all the sports, I'm kind of interested to see what happens when someone tests positive for Corona, because it's going to happen. Like, let's not be stupid. It's going to happen. So how does each organization and each team handle that? I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see. All right. All right. What's next? Uh, what? Who do you think will win the NBA title this year? So uh, oof. I feel like. My gut is telling me that it's going to be the Clippers out of the West and it's going to be the Bucks out of the East. I'm not going to lie. Every part of me wants to say it's going to be the Celtics. Every part of me. But I 
I don't know. Giannis is too good. I'm going to give the Bucks the edge in the East. But I ultimately think that Kawhi wins again. The Clippers win it. And I probably like in six games. Moving right along. Do you feel like sports teams who win championships for this year deserve an asterisk? Good question. And initially, I think I want to say that it depends on the sport. But honestly, no. I don't. I really don't think any any championship deserves an asterisk. Um, it's not like any team cheated. Everyone was faced with the same exact issue with COVID. You know, it's nobody's fault that it happened. Other than that, that that damn asshole who ate a bat in China. You know. Ugh. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but you know, everyone's on an equal playing field, so we're going to be able to see what happens. It's again, it's not like any team had a huge advantage. It's not like a team cheated. You know, the only sport where I could kind of, I could kind of see it being like, eh, that championship's a little bit you know, lame is with the MLB if they get their stuff together and they, they play. Because like I said, if it's a 50-game season, you know, you're getting like a small, small, small piece of the pie. And it's, it's tough. You know, with the NHL and the um, NBA, they've played almost their entire regular season already. Like they were close to or not. They were they were pretty close to being a good, a good portion of the way through their season. And I feel like that validates the teams who are going to the playoffs. And then once you're in the playoffs, who knows from there? Again, they're all faced with the same issue. What do you think of the UFC having events during the pandemic? And who is your favorite fighter that you like to watch? So I'm going to be straight up. I don't watch the UFC a ton. Uh, I would say, I'll answer the second question first, that uh, this is such a cop-out answer, but that Conor McGregor it was my favorite UFC fighter. I know he didn't do it for all, you know, a crazy amount of time, but the dude was straight up must-watch television when he was fighting. Um, his knockout in January in 40 seconds, I remember sitting in, like, Jake and Steve's basement, and we we stayed up so late and we were like, that was it. Like, for, I mean, it was dope. It was sick that he knocked him out in 40 seconds, but we were like, wow. And we spent all that money, but still no Conor McGregor. And you know, the first part of that question, if having events during the pandemic, like what do I think about that? You know, if the fighters in the UFC were comfortable with it and they took the necessary precautions from a health standpoint, both before and after fighting, then I'm fine with it because ultimately it's up to them. It's their decision, what they're willing to risk. You know, if they fight and then go, being self-quarantined for 14 days so they're not harming their families and their loved ones, then fine. I think it, you know, it would, again, their decision completely. Next question. This one cracked me up. This one came from one of the kids that I coached in basketball. And I don't know if they meant it as a joke, but uh, I, I don't know. Um, did, did you hear about the Tom Brady uh, documentary coming out in 2021? Yes. Of course I heard about the Tom Brady documentary coming out in 2021. Um, again, it's coming off the heels of, uh, Michael Jordan's the last dance documentary. Uh, it's going to be a nine part series, I guess with Brady. And I did hear about it. I am excited for it. I am nervous for it. I am anxious about it. I don't know what it's going to be about. Like, I hope he does. His, if he just goes in there and shits on Belichick and the Patriots, I'm going to be pissed. I, I hope it's. I hope it's a lot more than that. I hope it kind of takes us through his journey, starting back in high school and then going through his his time at Michigan and then going through, you know, what he accomplished in New England because what he accomplished will never be accomplished again in NFL history. It just simply won't. 
so I hope it focuses on that aspect of things and just doesn't he doesn't go in there and you know make fun of the Patriots or say he hated it or he was held captive blah 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 I don't want to hear any of that shit and then I'm sure it's coming out in 2021 because he wants to incorporate something about the Bucks and his time with them in there so I'm sure that will be in it um I don't know he did that Tom versus Time series on Facebook I think it was it was the year they lost uh, to Philadelphia in the Super Bowl. And that was awesome. The Tom vs. Time stuff was awesome. It's the same producer, so I'm hoping it's that same awesome quality. But I don't know. I just It makes me kind of uneasy. But I think what I was kind of floored about was that it was with ESPN because ESPN was kind of this, these, this, this thing that created that Deflategate scandal. Like, Chris Mortensen saying all these footballs were deflated and then ESPN running with it and not taking accountability for, you know, a lot of the false reports that came out and they kind of made Brady look like they made Brady look terrible. And I'm surprised he was so gung ho with like, oh yeah, we'll go on ESPN and we'll give them full access to this amazing documentary we're going to make. So yes, I heard about it. I have a very mixed emotions about it. So we'll see what happens. Next question we got. <laughs> what are your least favorite teams in every sport? Uh, there's going to be a very similar theme for a lot of these. I'll see if you guys can figure it out. Uh, MLB, it's the Yankees, for sure. In the NBA, it is the Knicks. Uh, the NFL, it is the Jets. And I could have done it with the NHL. I could have said the Rangers. I could have made it the the you know perfect storm of New York teams. But that would be lying. You know, I don't like the Rangers, but they're not my least favorite team. Uh, I would say my least favorite team in the NHL is the Canadians. I can't stand them. I can't stand the Habs. I don't like them. I don't. I I I love when the Bruins beat the Canadians. Um, how do you think Brady will do in Tampa Bay? So I touched on this in uh, episode four with Bruno, and we were kind of talking about some of the NFL stuff. So I said. That, you know, I again, kind of a cop-out answer, but a, a mixed bag. You know, I don't know exactly what to expect. Tom Brady, I believe, you know, everyone talks about the Patriots system. The, oh, he fits the system. Like, no, you're wrong. Tom Brady was the system. The Patriots had a plan to use all of Tom Brady's strengths to his advantage. It wasn't like that was in place when Drew Bledsoe was there. It is like, no, Tom Brady was the system. So what's going to be interesting is now, you know, he's going to Tampa Bay where he's going to be linked up with Bruce Arians, who's kind of like known as this quarterback whisperer. But Bruce Arians' offense is not tailored to a lot of the things Tom Brady does super well. Tom Brady is a make you defend all 53 yards of the field across and he will find the best matchups and he will take four-yard slants and he will take eight yard curl routes and he will take these little option routes out of the slot and he'll he, he'll just dissect you it's like death by a thousand cuts and a lot of people are like, oh he's he's such a average quarterback because he can't throw the ball deep down the field well you're wrong again go look at stats he had like the fourth best deep ball in the nfl last year at 41 years old um and that's what bruce arian's offense is it's his play action turn your back to the defense Hold the ball for three and a half, four seconds. Launch the ball sixty yards downfield. Trying to, it's you know, it's a fun offense to watch because it, it hits a lot. But you're asking what's going to be like. I don't know. A, 
42, 43-year-old quarterback to stand in the pocket and wait and wait and wait and then launch the ball 60 yards downfield doesn't seem exactly like Tom Brady to me. So, you know, with that being said, he's Tom Brady. I will never, ever, 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 ever bet against Tom Brady. And the amount of weapons he has at his disposal in Tampa Bay is disgusting. It's gross. It's a, it's it's unreal how many weapons he has. Um, so, yeah, again, I'm not betting against Tom. Uh, I think he'll do just fine. And I hope, I hope Bruce Arians lets him kind of, you know, be himself. What is the best division in football? So this one was a good question. Um, and I, I kind of had to think about it. I think from a pure viewing standpoint, I cannot wait to watch the NFC South this year because of everything that they have in that division with Drew Brees and Brady and Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina and the Falcons who are irrelevant because the Patriots killed them uh, in Super Bowl 51. Like they just took their heart and it really has never come back. But I think the best division in football is probably either the AFC West or the NFC West. And I'm going to give the advantage to the NFC West. The NFC West has the Rams, the 49ers, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals. I think that the Cardinals are going to be one of the most improved teams in the NFL. I love what they did last year. I like Kyler Murray a lot. You land DeAndre Hopkins in that offense. Uh, Watch out for the Cardinals. Don't sleep on them this year. Then you have the Rams. Uh, I don't think the Rams are going to be particularly good. I actually think... They're going to finish last in the division. You have the 49ers who came out of the NFC last year and represented them in the Super in the Super Bowl. So, you know, don't sleep on them. I think, you know, they're going to be okay. I think they're overrated, but, I, I you know, they're going to be good. And then Seattle. I love Seattle. Even the Legion of Boom is gone or whatever. I love, I love Russell Wilson. I love Russell Wilson. I think he's a fantastic quarterback. That, that league, that, that, that division is just so deep. And then I said the AFC West too because you have the Chiefs, you know, you have the the team who represents the AFC in the Super Bowl last year. You have the Broncos, who, honest to God, just like the Cardinals, I think that the Broncos could be one of the best teams in the NFL this year. Don't sleep on Drew Locke. I talk about weapons in Tampa Bay. There are weapons up the wazoo in, in Denver. So Drew Locke has everyone at his disposal there. You have the Raiders, who I think, you know, I don't know, kind of an unknown, and the Chargers who are kind of an unknown at this point too. I think Justin Hebert is going to be good. Herbert Hebert, I don't know how to pronounce it, is going to be really good for them. Tyrod Taylor is not going to start for them. Um, so that's a very exciting division to me too. So both those West divisions are going to be are, are, are awesome. Next question, Patriots question, love this. With the shortened offseason programs, do you think that Brian Hoyer could start week one over Jarrett Stidham? Uh, the short answer is no. Everyone who knows me kind of knows that I'm a Twitter freak and I follow just ridiculous amounts of Patriots supporters. And from what they've been saying is that Bill Belichick loves Jarrett Sidham. He loves him just as much as he loved Jimmy Garoppolo when he drafted him in 2014. You know, Garoppolo is supposed to be the heir apparent. Uh, Garoppolo is good, no doubt in my mind. But if Belichick thinks Stidham can be that guy or better, then I think... I think Belichick has every intention of starting Jarrett Stidham. And I'm sure Belichick will make it an open competition. I'm sure Hoyer and Stidham will compete to see who starts. But at the same time, you know, I think 
there's no point in Belichick coming out in June and saying, oh, yeah, Jarrett Stidham's our starter. Like, why put that added pressure on the kid, you know? So I think that's why you haven't heard anything about it. But I, I feel pretty confidently that Jarrett Stidham will be the starter. I don't think the shortened offseason is that big of a deal. He's already – if he was a rookie, yeah, it would be a huge deal. But he's already had one year in the system. He 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 kind of knows what the Patriots look to do from an offensive standpoint. Uh, he's been holding throwing sessions with Edelman. Hoyer's been there. Um, but I don't know, showing some leadership. I, I think I, I'm pretty confident Stidham starts in, in week one. All right, next question. I feel like I never hear you talk about who you root for in college football. Is it because UConn sucks? <laughs> who do you root for in college football? Um, no. It's not because UConn football sucks. I like UConn football. I, I worked for them. Uh, I think my favorite two, I get my favorite two. And again, you're like, oh, you bandwagon their powerhouses. Like, no. Um, I've liked Penn State since my cousin Charlotte went there. I know the whole Jerry Sandusky scandal. I know, not good. But like, I really like watching Penn State football. Um, plus, my boss, Anthony Rosati, my old boss, Anthony Rosati, used to really like watching Penn State and that. I've always enjoyed them. And then Georgia. I loved Jake Fromm. Again, he's been in a little bit of shit right now, what he said. But I liked watching Jake Fromm. We've had family friends who have went to Georgia. I just, I'll go dogs, baby. Go dogs. What do you think about UConn rejoining the Big East? Uh, great move. Great move for the school. A move that had to be done in my eyes. Um, people are like, oh, like, what does that mean for football? Well, football is going to the independent. They're going to be independent. Uh, which I think is a great thing. I saw firsthand with Jake Largay, my best one of my best friends, when he was at UMass, they were independent. And UMass played ridiculously good schools. But that's what you want for your program. You might not win those games, but it, you're playing the best competition, which ultimately gets you better. Uh, Jake played at Notre Dame, at Hawaii, at BYU, at Florida. All the They played at Penn State. They're just ridiculously competitive games against top, top, top. They played at Georgia. Uh, top top competition, and I feel as if UConn will be able to land some big games going forward. And I, you know, I hope they're on the come up. I really do. Um, so I don't think it's going to kill them going to the Big East as much as people think. But I'm really excited that the school is embracing the fact that they are a a basketball school. Like you've had some bad years, bad years per se for the men and the women as of late. Um, for the women, wow, they don't win a championship every year. They're bad. No. That's not what I'm saying. But, like, it's going to be, again, better competition. I think you're going to see ticket sales go up. I feel like you're going to – you're gonna. it's just going to be way better for fans. And I, uh, I'm i really excited that the school decided to cut the core with the American because, honest to God, who the hell cares about playing Tulane on a Tuesday night in December? Like, no one, man. Like, I'm glad they're – I'm glad they're out of the American and they're back, they're back home. Uh, another UConn question. UConn needs to cut $10 million in their athletic budget. Any guesses on what teams might get cut? Yikes. So for those of you who are not aware, UConn's athletic department had like a $42 million deficit in 2019. And they have similar deficits in 17 and 18. So things are not going great. And basically, uh, UConn has announced that they're going to try to have a 25% reduction in their athletic department, which basically means like ten million in expenses. So obviously that can mean cutting some programs. I feel like maybe, ugh, I again I don't know anything. This is just me 
100% purely speculating. Maybe the tennis teams, men and women tennis teams, uh, golf team, swimming and diving, women's lacrosse, I don't know, maybe some of those. I hope not the volleyball team. I really like the volleyball team. Hopefully not that, but I, I don't know. $10 million, $10 million is a lot, a lot of money to cut, and there's going to be, there's no doubt there's going to be some issues there. And I'm sure people are like, oh, cut the football team. You know, $13 million deficit last year alone, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I, nah, I'm keeping football. I'm going to try to find other ways around it. Um, yeah, that's that's what I, I feel like for, for UConn. Uh, last question for this category. What would your friend say who watched games with you? Are you quiet or do you scream? It depends. I know it's like a, another cop-out answer, but it depends. Remember watching Super Bowl 52, no, 53 with uh, the Patriots and the Rams. And I, again, low-scoring game. Offense wasn't doing jack shit. I think I was squeezing my friend Mary Beth's hand so tight the entire game. And I was like, I was either like, quiet or like shaking i get very anxious during games i get very very anxious and i i feel like i only scream when because i'm such like an offensive minded kid and I, that's what i enjoy about football i really only get like scream and get mad when i like get really annoyed at play calls or dumb 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 penalties i don't know i again it's a mixed bag um i think people will be surprised at how quiet i can get though like when things when things aren't going well, I'm very, very, very quiet. And then we get to a tipping point, and then I just explode. So does that make sense? I'm going to get a teapot. I'm just like waiting and waiting and waiting, and then like I, my like gasket explodes. So that's it for uh, this that little section of questions. Um, so let's, let's move on to the second part of this interview, which is going to be the coaching questions. I just realized I said the second part of this interview. I am so damn dumb. I, obviously, this is not an interview. So you get the point, though. You get the point, right? The second part of this Q&A, which is the coaches, uh, the coaching questions. Again, that first section was kind of long, but that's where I got most of the questions. So that's why it was on, a little bit on the longer side. So, But I think this was my favorite section in terms of the questions that I got. I'm excited to go through some of these. So question number one. How did you get into coaching? Again, a little bit of a loaded question, so I'm going to take it back a little bit. So when I made the decision not to play football in college, I wanted to go to a school where I felt like I could be involved in athletics somehow or at least go to games and have a good time, tailgate, all that good stuff. I wanted to be part of a, a school with a, a very good athletic program. So I went to UConn. I chose UConn. I stayed in state. And when I stayed in state, uh, my football coach who I played for junior and senior year reached out to me. He's like, hey, man, I don't want you to be done. Like, you know, you care too much about the sport. Why don't you come back and help me in a limited capacity? And that's really, that's how it started. And it was very limited at the beginning. I took statistics during games that I didn't have any say in, in play calls or anything like that. It was like, you can come back. You can work with the quarterbacks a little bit. But I, again, really didn't even do that. I just came back for games and took stats. But that's how it started. 
Um, you know, if, if Coach Rich didn't send me that text, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing this whole coaching thing. I certainly wouldn't have started as early as I did, that's for sure. Um, but I am super, super blessed that he did that because coaching became such a passion and such a big part of me that, you know, I'm like forever, forever thankful that I got that text because it kind of set me in this path that I was so fortunate to be on. Do you get nervous when you coach? That's the second question we got. Yes. I think I get more nervous coaching than I do playing. And I don't mean that to be like, oh, are you scared? Like, no, I'm not scared. I think like I get butterflies more coaching before a game than I did when I was playing. Playing, I was like in the zone. I was locked in. I was fired up most of the time. I was really never nervous. Coaching, I just, I think I get so nervous because, you know, you're leading this group of men, young men or young women, and, you know, they look up to you and they're looking for you. They're looking to you to put them in the best positions to succeed. And when you're not succeeding or when things aren't going great, you feel like you let them down. Like you feel responsible. That phrase that like players win game, coaches lose player players win games, coaches lose games. That is so true. That is exactly how it feels. Um, and you never ever ever want to be in the of the mindset like you're the reason the team lost. And you know, I again, it's just you have so much passion for the kids that you coach. Uh, you don't want to see them fail. And you know, I so yeah, I get nervous. I I definitely definitely get nervous. Third question. Do you believe in equal playing time? Um, No, I don't believe in equal playing time. Again, this kind of depends on what level you're coaching, okay? So like in basketball, I'll give you an example. We talk about we have a freshman, a JV, and a varsity team. And we talk about freshman basketball being like primarily you – equal-ish playing time for the first three quarters in the fourth quarter. You kind of have your own uh, to play whoever you want. And I get that. Freshman year is about developing. It is about becoming uh, enriched in your program. It's about learning the way you want your program to become. The trickle-down effect from your varsity coach to your freshman coach. Like You set the ground rules, the groundwork for the trajectory of your players going forward in your program. Uh, so a little bit more equal playing time. See what you got. You know, as you go to JV... That goes away a little bit, you know. The best players are going to play, and again, you're still developing at JV. You're still you want to get every kid in the game, all that. Every kid should play in the game in JV, 100%. But you know, if Johnny plays 27 minutes and uh, Ricky plays seven, um, that's okay. That's okay by me. It's JV. You can't baby everybody, right? Like as long as they're in the game, they're playing a little bit. They feel like they're part of the team. That's all that really. That that's the important thing for me. Again, you're still developing. You're trying to get them to that next step, trying to get them to be that varsity athlete. Then once you're a varsity athlete, don't give me that shit about equal playing time. You're trying to win games for varsity, whatever sport. You're trying to win. Um, so little Johnny might not get in the game for, for varsity, and mom and dad have to deal with it, okay? like that, that's, a, that's on the coach. That's a coach's decision. Um, and I, it really bothers me when you, know, you get emails about playing time for varsity basketball or varsity football or whatever sport it is. I'm like, can can you like relax? Can these parents relax? Cause it's, you're going to, you're going to 
kill coaches. You're going to make coaches so frustrated that they don't want to coach anymore. And then you're not going to have good coaches. So the playing time thing bothers me a lot. Next question for this category we got is, do you think that coaches should be able to coach their teams out of season? No, I do not think so, especially as a team. I don't think that's cool. I don't think that you can be going over um, like game plan, like for football. I don't think you can be going over game plan stuff as your team. You can run. I don't think you can run, you know, your entire offensive passing scheme with all your skill players and quarterbacks with coaches there. Like that's that's not cool. Like I think that's a violation. I don't think that should be allowed. Um, I think it's totally cool to weightlift as a team. I know that a lot of football teams, a lot of sports teams do that. I think that is fantastic. Um, but I, I feel as if, you know, if you're if you're coaching your team out of season, then then there are some issues. I know that you know players go to coaches all the time asking for tips and advice, and that's that's awesome. You should be able to do that for sure. But as an entire team out of season, no, I don't think that's that's a good idea. Next question we got is. How should multi-sport athletes train in the summer? Should you train for one sport or have fun and play a bunch? So this is a great question. One of my favorite ones that I got. And I was a three-sport athlete with football, basketball, and baseball. And the way that I approached the summer was I played every sport. I was training for football. I was doing passing leagues with the guys. I was doing conditioning with the guys. I was playing summer basketball leagues. And I was playing summer summer league baseball. I couldn't get enough of each sport. I felt like... Um, it was so important for me to to do each thing in the summer and stay sharp with all that that I that's what I recommend. You know, I'm 100% of the mindset that kids burn out when they focus too much on one sport. Um, it kind of happened a little bit for me in baseball. I played a lot of baseball as a kid and uh, my dad loved it and I loved it growing up, but I think I just got to the point where I did so much of it that I got sick of it. And I feel like that happens. If you have one kid, like let's say, for example, too, your sport is, is baseball. Like it's your, your best sport and all you do all summer is you train for baseball. And But you play soccer in the fall. Well, you might not be, you not might be helping your soccer team much at all if you, if you didn't do anything for soccer. So I think I think a mix is great. You know, the way I tried to do it was that I, you know, tried to do the most of the sport that was coming up in the fall. So for 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 me that was football. And then I, you know, but I also played basketball and I also played baseball in the in the summer. So I I highly recommend um you know, do a little bit of everything if you can. I don't really believe in the just train 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 for one sport. Did you like coaching girls the one season that you did? I I did like it. I did enjoy it. It was definitely an adjustment. It was definitely an adjustment in the way that I coached which sounds kind of funny but like there were certain things I had to learn about coaching girls that are very different than coaching boys and um, I'm not saying that's worse or better or anything like that but it was definitely an adjustment uh, it took me a second to kind of get my bearings but I I did really enjoy it um, you know it was it was a great season coaching I coached helped girls across um, a little bit and and it was a lot of fun but it was definitely it was definitely different a challenge, but in a good way. And I feel like it, I feel like it actually made me a better coach. What, this is from one of the football guys from last year. What is your favorite memory memory from football last season? So two things pop into my head right off the bat. The first thing was 
game number one away at Stafford. Stafford had won the conference two years in a row or something. They made states two or three years in a row. It's an absolute powerhouse program. They graduated a lot of kids, but, you know, Coach Mazzone had those boys ready to play, and we won in overtime on, like, a walk-off touchdown to win it in overtime, extra point to win the game. And uh, it was just electric. You know, it started us on a trajectory to a to an 8-2 and two season, a really fantastic season for Granby Canton, and uh, that was amazing. The second thing that pops into my mind was the uh, was just playing in a playoff game. You know, that's something, again, only second time ever in, in Granby history. And, you know, you lose the game at, what was it, 10-6 to 6 or something like that? 10-7? Ah, crap, I forget. I know, I forget what the... 13-7, I forget. But, you know, close game, competitive game versus Waterford. And, again, anytime you're in the playoffs, it, 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 it's a good season. Next question, again, a football question. As an offensive coach in football, how do you like to coach? So I'm not super positive what this one means, but I, I kind of touched on it a little bit. I like to be overprepared. And a lot of that is film study. So I will watch film at nauseum during the week to try to get prepared for each game week. Um, but with that being said, I am just trying to do that to give our guys an advantage. I am not a huge proponent of changing what you do based on what your opponent does. Does that make sense? I am more of the mindset like, here's what we run. We're going to do it damn well, and we're going to call the plays in our scheme that fit what we want to do offensively against that specific defense. I don't feel like, oh, okay, you know, uh, Cog and Chog runs a cover three and they blitz the backers all the time, so we got to completely change the offense. No, no, screw that. We do what we do, and we do it well, and we're going to call the plays that put us in the best position to beat that defense that week. Next question, last question for this category. Of the sports you coached, which does coaching mean the most in? I'm assuming that just means like, you know, what, like as a coaching staff, who has the most of like uh, effect on the game? Again, I'm probably going to say football um, because, you know, in basketball, you can, you can have eh, mediocre coaches and you can have these stud, stud basketball players who go out there and just dominate and they can win you games. But in football, I mean, you got to really, you got to, re- again, it's putting people in the right position to, to win. You know, you have 11 guys out there at one time. It's it's making the right personnel decisions. Again, I'm talking high school sports here because I think it, it's different in professional sports. But um, I feel like football, you know, there's just a lot of moving pieces. And think about this too, right? Football, you have an entire week of practice for one game. So you're getting the guys ready for, you know, four or five days before they play an actual game. Basketball is not or any sport, I guess, um, well, of the sports I coach. So basketball and baseball, there's way more games. So there's much more emphasis on on practice for, for football. And I feel like a lot of that is coaches getting the players ready for the game that week. So I'm going to go with football. That's it for the coaching questions. So we're going to hop on over to a little bit about my playing career. Alrighty, on to the third section of this little Q&A. Um, 
we're going to dive right in, talk about uh, when I played a little bit. So first question, give me your top three memories from high school. So this was tough, kind of going through it in my brain here a little bit. Um, I would say that first and foremost, winning a state championship in 2013 with the basketball team was definitely a tremendous moment for me. Very simply stated, you know, like you'll always be a part of that team. You know, I could go back to Grand High in 25 years and look up in the rafters and see that 2013 state championship banner. And I just remember the guys I played with remembered, you know, for those of you who don't know, right, Granby's down 19 points at the half in the state championship game to Weaver High. You know, the probability of winning that game had to be less than 1%. You're down 15 going into the fourth quarter. You tie the game at a buzzer beater at the end of regulation. You win in double overtime. Like, I don't know, just an unreal game. People say, like, the best $10 I ever spent on a, a ticket to, was to that game, and I believe it because that was that was ridiculous in a moment I will never, ever, ever forget. But something I think that might top that, which people are going to laugh at me for saying this, was becoming the first ever winning team in Granby football history in my last year. Um, I was a senior captain. It was the fall of 2013. Um, we were 6-5. and five. There were 11 games in the state of Connecticut for a couple of years there. And we beat Canton, who if they had beaten us, they were going to go to the playoffs. No one really expected us to win. And we did it in this miserable, miserable, miserable weather. Snow, sleet, wind, rain. I played like shit in that game. Um, but we won it. And, you know, after starting 0-3, to finish the rest of the year, uh, six and two was something Granby just didn't do in football. But you know that that memory means a lot to me in helping uh, establish the program. And they've gone. The program's gone on to do amazing things. And I feel you know like I was responsible for a little bit of that at the beginning for helping us get get to a spot and get over that little that little ledge that we had been trying to do for so long. So that's uh, probably another top three moment for me and then I think being named the starting quarterback halfway through freshman year was probably my third favorite memory um I'm probably forgetting some stuff but that was uh that was surreal you know there was a senior quarterback Gipper Gaylor who honest to God could be the nicest person I've ever met and he was a fine quarterback too man that kid like taught me he took me under his wing I was a scrawny, scrawny little freshman and Gipper, first passing league in the summer that year. He's a senior. We he, we throw before the the um the game and Gipper's asking me all these questions. What kind of routes do I like? What why do I like football? Just this amazing, amazing guy. And you know, obviously, as a senior, losing your job to, to a freshman has to suck. Like, it has to suck. And not only that, Gipper went from starting quarterback to going to play for on the offensive line. But Gip was such an amazing guy and such an amazing teammate. He didn't really bat an eye, at least from what I saw. Um, just couldn't have been a greater teammate. And, you know, when I threw a touchdown, he would he's the first one coming over to me and congratulating me. There was no ill will. There was no, you know, bad blood. Gip was just an amazing teammate and you know for all these players who you know are selfish and only care about themselves and not the betterment of the team you know 
I'll throw you the throw you the Gipper Gaylor example because the kid was and is one of the nicest people I've ever come across in sports. And um, you know, it was an amazing moment for me, but at the same time, it's a moment that had to sting for him. And he couldn't have been more gracious about it. And you know, uh, going back to why it's a, a moment like that for me is that you know, it like really set me on the trajectory to be involved in football and you know really embrace how much I loved the sport and I when I got named starter I was all in and I ha- I didn't play great freshman year I didn't play great sophomore year but I you know took those experiences and it made me into a very very good quarterback junior and senior year and um yeah getting named fresh uh, starting quarterbacks freshman was definitely a reason for that so definitely a top three moment for me great question I got it today got it pretty late today what was the most important lesson that you learned playing? So, again, great question. I feel like I want to say learning to be accountable for yourself and whatever your role is on a team. So it kind of feeds hand in hand with the whole thing I just talked about with Gipper. Sometimes there are going to be players that are better than you on your team. Sometimes you're not going to get a lot of playing time. Sometimes you might have to compete for a roster spot with a friend of yours. But just go out there, play within yourself and your abilities. Don't try to be a damn hero. Do your job and help your team in whatever way you can. Like, you know, in football, I knew my job as a quarterback was to be an extension of the coaching staff on the field. Be a guy that, you know, my team could trust with the ball in his hands on every single play. Make the right reads. Make the right decisions. Be a big part of the game and ultimately try to win the damn thing. Like, that's what I knew my role was as a football player and as a quarterback. In basketball, my role was way different. You know, I was a forward who played on teams with fantastic point guards, fantastic pure scores, especially sophomore and junior year. So I knew my role was, okay, Kurt, go bust your balls on defense, go rebound, go make the like nitty-gritty plays, dive on the floor, take charges, you know, get subbed out after five. I started every game since sophomore year, but, you know, I didn't like play a ridiculous amount of minutes either. Like, you know, I knew at the five minute mark of the first quarter, I mean, I played five minutes and at the three minute mark of the first quarter, I was coming out. That's fine. Whatever. Get the next guy in. I was getting fat and slow. So like, you know, I, I get it, but I knew what my role was and I, I embraced my role. I didn't like score much. I didn't even score that much senior year, but I scored more senior year um, because my role changed a little bit, but that's what it takes, man. Be accountable for yourself. Know what your role is and do it well. Don't complain about it either. Because you know what? Someone else behind you wants that role. They want that role. So bust your ass and try to and, and do everything you're capable of with that role. Uh, did you like playing at home or away better? So I loved playing at home in high school because Granby has such a tremendous home field advantage in both football and in basketball. But, but I will say that there's absolutely, in my opinion, no better feeling than running out onto the field or the court or you know whatever and being booed by the opposite team or the fans of the opposite team. Like, to me, that is the reason you compete. That's the thing that lights a fire under my ass. I don't know about anyone else, but I feel like I played better on the road than I did at home, maybe because I was nervous, a little more nervous playing at home. I wouldn't even call it nervous, but like, you know, I wanted to impress everybody or whatever, but I, man, I loved it. Being booed made me, it got me going. And I, uh, I loved playing on the road. Uh, how did you like being coached? Is the next question. Awesome question. I liked being coached hard. 
in every sport, in every sport, you know, if I threw my second interception of the game and, you know, Coach Rich came over to me and was like, I'm not saying he did this, but if he came over to me and was like, hey, at least it was a good spiral, I'd have been like, man, get out of here. Like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that shit. I want to, I want to be told what I did wrong. Tell me, like, directly man to man what I did wrong and let me go fix the damn thing. Like, I liked to be coached hard. I didn't like to be coddled. Um, I felt like there was no reason to be coddled. Uh, so yeah, I like to be coached hard, and I feel like it's changed a little bit now because it's hard. It's hard for coaches to coach hard, for fear of being, you know, said that they're being like harassing towards somebody or that they're being rude. Or uh, people have just gotten so soft in my mind, and it, it drives me crazy because I feel like you can't be, you can't get coached hard anymore. You can't coach kids hard because they can't take it. But for me personally, I like to be coached hard, and that's how I want it to be coached. <laughs> what sport were you worst at? So I'm assuming this question means what sport was I worst at that I played, and I would probably say baseball. Uh, that's not how it always was. I would say I was very good at baseball through Little League, through juniors, through the beginning of high school. But my love for baseball started to die, and I don't know if that's because I played it so much as a kid or if maybe just football started to consume everything that I wanted to do, but I would say I was worse at baseball. I mean, I hit like seventh or eighth. I wasn't a fantastic hitter. I, you know, would try to hit to like right center a lot. I got a fair share of singles and doubles. I wasn't a power hitter. I loved playing the outfield though. I was good at, I was really good on defense, but the hitting was left a lot to be desired. And I pitched a lot growing up, but it's only because I threw hard. I threw like really, really hard. And then when I got to high school, I didn't have all these pitches and everything. So I didn't. I couldn't really pitch. You need more than a fastball to pitch in high school, and uh, I didn't have that. So I think maybe that was part of the reason too why the love started to die a little bit. But probably baseball. And if you're talking about in general, if that was your question, it's soccer. I freaking stink at soccer. I don't. I'm terrible. So yeah, this all about soccer. I'm bad at. Oof. Okay, tough one. What was your biggest regret from when you played? Uh, shoot. Okay, so I think for me it was my senior year of basketball. It's the the team after winning a state championship. I was a senior captain, and anytime you're the team coming off a state championship, you'll always be remembered as you know the guys after them. So we graduated a ton. We lost a ton of scoring. Like 70, 75% of our scoring was gone from the year before, and the team was okay. We had a lot of injuries. We were very like we were like twelve and eight, eleven and nine, something like that during the regular season. Uh, we got the seven seed in the NCCC, and we made this ridiculous run in the NCCC tournament. We knocked off the two seed, the three seed, then we played the one seed, East Windsor, in the in the, in the finals, um, the conference finals. And I played well. I, I had like you know thirteen points or whatever. I felt like I was having a good game, and we're up nine with three minutes to go. <laughs> and East Windsor forced overtime, and then we lost. And it, it's just such a regret for me because I'm like, you know, uh, like what else could I have done? Like what more could I have done? I know there was stuff I could have done. Like I remember getting having a couple of shots blocked in overtime and uh, uh, not making a three that was wide open in overtime. And I just – that game pisses me off because at least it would have given us something. Like, you know, we – you know, like I said, you're the team after a state championship team. You'll always be compared to that team. It would have given us something like, hey, 
yeah, we weren't state champs. We were NCCC champs, which is which is nice. Um, but, you know, we lose that game, the NCCC championship game, and then we get bounced first round in the state tournament. So super disappointing. Super, super disappointing. Uh, last question for this. Was it weird playing with your brother? Um, No. It wasn't weird. Uh, Connor was a freak athlete, an absolute freak athlete um, <laughs> in every sport. Picks up a lacrosse stick and just tears it up. Uh, makes he was just ridiculous. I can't even I can't even really put into words how good of an athlete he was. Um, but from a football perspective, he played his freshman and sophomore years when I was a junior and senior because he was so good. I don't know if like this is like a normal thing for brothers or not, but. Connor and I were not that close growing up. Like, we used to always, like, fight. He'd beat the shit out of me, which is annoying because I was, like, so much bigger than him. But the kid was just a freak. Um, And, we like, again, we just really weren't that close. And then, you know, freshman, Connor's freshman and sophomore year, he's playing football, he's playing basketball and baseball, like, on the same team as I was because he was so good. And... I started to view Khan as more of like a teammate than like a brother thing. And we became much, much, much closer. And I think at the same time, like, you know, I'm not taking any sort of responsibility (laughs) for why Connor was good at sports. But from a football perspective, you know, growing up, I was like, I want to, I want to like go work on my throwing. So Connor would be out in the driveway with me or out in the field with me. And I'd be like whipping balls at him, like humming the ball in there. And for Khan, it was like, okay, either catch it or it hits you in the face and it hurts. So it's like, I think Connor got like, you know, I think it helped Connor like train at a young age because, you know, he was out there catching balls for me and stuff. And it correlated, you know, I think back to senior year a lot. And Connor was like the number two sophomore in Connecticut in terms of receiving because he was like my go-to guy. Like... (laughs) On a big fourth down, I remember it's just you're gonna be like, "What the hell, Kurt?" We played at Cogginchog. I played a pretty good game, but um, fourth down, early in the game, we're down by a touchdown. It's like a fourth and thirteen. We went for it inside, like uh, in Cogginchog territory. I rolled right, which I never did, and I Connor was on a corner route, and they were playing cover three, like a little bit uh, of a, like a under coverage kind of thing, and. Normally, Connor would ha- continue his route to the corner, and he like throttled down in an open area of the field. And I hit him for this this like I think we got like sixteen yards on the play. But like that kind of thing, Connor and I just were just so on the same page. And like you know, he wasn't taught to throttle down there. It's just he was a good football player, and I you know I realized that, and <laughs> it was a blessing to play with him. Because I think it made us a lot closer. And at the same time, like, he was my go-to guy. Like, a big moment, I was going to go to Connor. Like, that might sound weird, but, like, I'd rather throw the ball to Connor in double coverage than someone who I didn't have as much faith in who might have a step somewhere else. And that kind of sounds effed up, but that's just the truth. Um, he was my guy in go-to moments, and that's that's where I wanted to go with the football. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. That's it for that section. And now you get to hear the fun little music one uh, another time for when we go into my uh, professional career. All right, guys, home stretch. We're almost there. We're getting there. Um, there's not a ton of questions left. 
um, for my professional career, it's like four or five, five or six maybe. And then the rapid fire ones, we're going to just throw in here too at the end. Um, those will go super quick. So we're almost there. So no, question number one about my professional career. Did you like working at a country club? So I worked at Hartford Golf Club for two years. Um, I was working in the golf department and I was like an outside operations kid. And then I ultimately became a starter where you like tell people where to go for golf. And I really did enjoy that aspect of things. At the same time, I really, really liked the guys I worked with. I loved my boss. Um, I loved being around the game of golf. I started to really get into golf uh, in college and stuff and start playing a lot more, which was awesome. So being around that environment, you know, you just talk golf with some of the guys and stuff and you 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 mess around after work on the um the driving range and you practice some new things it was fun it was a lot of fun um however however the environment and some of the people there and some of the members were toxic and it made the job not always fun um you were looked at as like a servant and like a like you know this this no good piece of garbage to these members and like they treated you like that too so from that aspect of things that wasn't great but i did like working at the hartford golf club for my boss um and i again i liked the guys a lot next question in your first episode you said that you wrote for a newspaper in town did you like that um so that was when i was still kind of thinking that the journalism thing was what i was going to do for my future and i wanted to have a little bit of you know, actual stuff that I could send in to a prospective job. And I could be like, okay, here's what I've written in the past. Take a look at it. Um, I enjoyed it. I covered a lot of baseball games. Um, but I I feel like that summer I started to put things together that, you know, maybe, like just maybe this wasn't for me. So I learned a lot. Uh, the guy, Dave Heschel, who I worked for at the Valley Press was great. But I, um, you know, I, I didn't feel in love with it, and I feel like that's when I kind of knew that perhaps it wasn't for me. Do you feel like your master's will help you get a better job in the field? Uh, yes, 100%. Uh, and that is the reason I went back to get my master's. Uh, when I decided that I was going to per pursue sports uh, in the athletic industry as a full-time profession, I knew that my journalism and communications degree wouldn't stand up really in that in that sense. Uh, so that was part of the reason that I went back to school to get my sports management and uh, athletic administration degree. Um, and I feel like it's already paid huge dividends for me. I remember being in my interview for uh, Rhode Island College, which I just got in February, and um, you know they were asking me questions that pertain to some of the exact stuff that I was learning. Uh, in my sports management classes. And, you know, it said like preferred, um, I'm at the job uh, when I was applying, it said like preferred quality, you know, masters. And I, so I was, I could at least apply to that and be like, hey, listen, I'm close. I'm on the home stretch of getting my, my masters. And, you know, again, I feel like it's paid huge, huge dividends already. I think it's going to continue to pay huge dividends going forward. And I feel like it's going to pay for itself in the long run. And I'm, I am so, so glad that I did the program. Southern New Hampshire's program was fantastic. Um, I'm done Sunday, guys, and I submitted my last thing, so I'm just kind of on cruise control right now. So I'm done. Um, it's a great program, and I, I, I can't speak highly enough about it. 
what was the best and worst part of working at UConn? Um, so I ended up working at UConn for five years, four during undergrad and one the year after with the football and volleyball and basketball teams. And uh, I think just the best part was being around a fantastic athletic program, fantastic coaches, and fantastic teams on a daily basis. Like I felt very, very lucky and very, very fortunate to be in the situation that I was in because you're you're surrounded by these people who are going to go on to be professional athletes. Um, I got to work with Brianna Stewart a ton uh, in school, and you know I saw her all the time at practices and stuff. And we keep in touch here and there. Um, you know, being around Coach Oriema all the time was something that I don't ever take for granted. You know, that, that man is, he's a, it's a goat. He's a legend. And, uh, you know, I, I don't take any for that, anything like that for granted. And it was a, a very surreal, surreal thing. Um, the worst part, Oh, the worst part, the hours, the hours. Yeah. Uh, really, really early mornings. You're there all day grinding and you might have a basketball game at night where you're there till, Midnight, and you come back in and do it all over again. The crack of dawn the next morning. Um, you know, my boss Anthony Rosati, who I talk about a lot, he uh, he told me very early on. He's like, if you really want to get into this field, uh, be prepared to work a shit ton of hours, and you're not going to get paid very much at all at the beginning. Um, you know, you're not you're not in athletics for the pay to start. So, um, you know, you really got to be committed to it and. Uh, I don't get me wrong, I am, but it was tough. Some of those hours, those days were long, like long, long, long. And, um, you know, you don't always have weekends either. A lot of times you have games on weekends. So you're in seven days a week for a long, long day, all seven days. And uh, that's just kind of the, that's for the profession. So you got to love it. You got to love it. Um, how did you get your job in Rhode Island? Uh, stumbled upon it, truth, truthfully. I think I was on LinkedIn Saw there was a position open in uh, the beginning of January. I applied to the job. I didn't hear anything for weeks, for weeks. And I was like, man, like, shoot, that stinks. I sound like a cool job. And then I got a call in like early February and things moved very fast. I mentioned it in the first podcast, you know, um, I had a phone interview and then I had two in-person interviews and they went well. I feel very comfortable in the interview setting, uh, just being myself and talking about my experiences I feel lucky that I've had a lot of really great experiences in the past that have gotten me to where I am today. And um, yeah, I again, I only had worked at Rhode Island College for like three weeks before coronavirus hit. And now I'm back. This is my first week back. So I'm still very, very new to the job, but I love it. And I feel very, very lucky to be here. Um, what is your dream job in athletics? So my dream job is either uh, to be a athletic director, whether it's at a high school, like a very, very good high school, or college, I don't know. Um, I think that'd be awesome. At the same time, uh, my boss, when I was at UConn for the year after undergrad, one of my bosses uh, was Ryan Steinberg, director of football operations at UConn. And I feel like that would be like a dream because you know, you're not coaching per se, but you're around the team. You know, the kids still come to you. Um, you're, you, you're in charge with a lot of responsibility and uh, it would get me around football, which, you know, I'm not going to shy away from it. Sounds sounds pretty damn good to me. So a director of football operations would be something that, you know, would be amazing. It would be amazing. I'm not going to play the music for you guys again. We're going to go right into this rapid fire category. Very short answers. There's like mm, there's like 10 questions here, but again, they'll be quick. If you could watch only one sport for the rest of your life, what would it be? That's easy, guys. Come on. It's football. Who is your favorite golfer? Um... I'd say it's between Tiger Woods and Justin Thomas, 
but um, I'm going to give Tiger the edge. I mean, again, just like Conor McGregor in the UFC, he's a must-watch TV, so I'm going to give it to Tiger. Watching him win the Masters last year was awesome. I got goosebumps. I I will never forget that. Uh, Tom Brady or Joe Montana? Really? Really? I'm not going to call the person out who asked me this question, but you all know the answer to that question already. Did you watch, quote, the match with Phil, Tiger, Peyton, and Brady? Yes, I did. I loved it. It was like the highlight of quarantine for me. Um, it was live sports for like the first time in forever. Uh, Peyton Manning is hilarious. He's hilarious. Um, Brady's uh, like what was 150-yard shot on like the sixth or seventh hole that went in after he played like shit to start was, was awesome. Um, Phil was coaching guys up. Tiger was just playing like – Tiger was playing great. Um, the match was great. I, I would sign up for that over and over again every year. That was awesome. What is your favorite professional stadium you have ever been to, and what is one you want to go to? Um, I haven't been to a ton of stadiums, to be perfectly honest. Um, I would say that my favorite stadium that I've ever been to, um, I've been to all the AFC East stadiums. I don't like New Era in Buffalo. I'm not a huge fan. MetLife Stadium was awesome in New York City. But I think, believe it or not, I was at Super Bowl uh, 54 in Miami. Hard Rock Stadium or whatever down there. Man, that is a nice stadium. They did a really, really great job renovating it. I'm going to go with Hard Rock Stadium. And then what is one I want to go to? Camden Yards, uh, Baltimore Orioles. I wanted to go since I was a kid, and it's not that far away. I'm pissed at myself for not going. Uh, But that's definitely one I want to get to. Best sports movie of all time. Uh, for those of you who know me well, you'll know. Remember the Titans. Friday Night Lights, the movie is close, but Remember the Titans is my number one sports movie of all time. It's my favorite movie of all time, period, not just sports. Uh, what league has the best all-star game? I'm going to go with the NBA, especially after this last year. They've done a very, very good job revamping all-star weekend. Uh, definitely the NBA. Will the Red Sox be good this year if they play? Um, eh, Mediocre. Not great, not bad, not good. Do you like your high school colors? Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, we are maroon and gold. Um, I kind of wish the gold wasn't like a mustardy gold. Like I would have liked to be a Notre Dame gold. I feel like that like is a great, great look. Um, but yeah, I like maroon and gold. Who has the best uniform in the NFL? Um, I think it has to be the Chargers guys. Like that light blue uniform from the Chargers, that is money that is a fantastic uniform i might might have said the dolphins in like the 2000s with those teal and orange those were sick uh if you disagree don't at me uh least favorite player in the nfl i'm gonna get hate for this one and i don't hate him from a like personal standpoint but it's patrick mahomes um i think he's amazing an amazing football player i think he's a good guy but i don't like the comparisons to tom brady i saw the other day like Oh, if Patrick Mahomes wins three Super Bowls, he's the GOAT. Like, what? Like, stop. Stop with that crap. Do not give me that. Do not give me that. Um, so for that reason, I don't like the comparisons. It's Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Would you boo Tom Brady if he ever plays in New England with the Buccaneers? Well, he's going to play with the, uh, the Buccaneers in New England in 2021. And I am prepared to spend any amount of money to get to that game. Uh, and no, I will not boo. I will stand and I will clap and I'll probably cry. <laughs> Someone asked, <laughs> who would win in a race, you or Connor? Uh, Connor, and I don't think it'd be close, even though the kid's been boozing pretty hard. Um, but yeah, Connor, and I don't think it'd be very close. And that's it. That's it. That's all the uh, the rapid fire questions we got. So thank you guys so much for sending those in. 
That's right. I had to throw that music in there one last time for you guys. Um, but so thank you again. I just said it, but thank you for sending questions in. I, again, I really didn't know what to do this week. I was like, oh crap, am I going to be able to get an episode out? And ultimately I was, but a lot of that is because of you guys. So thank you so much for sending in questions. Again, 80 something questions. Are you guys kidding? Like I never expected anything like that. And this Q and a went in like an hour 15 or a little bit more because because of you guys, you sent in so many great questions. I was worried about like having a 20 minute episode, but you guys were great. Um, I appreciate y'all more than you know. And lastly, I just want to end with one, one last thing. Um, I know it's been an absolutely terrible start to 2020. Um, I know so many people are hurting and all that stuff, but I think from a sports standpoint, Doc Rivers summed it up better than anybody I've seen in a long time. He said yesterday, 2020 isn't over yet. It's June. It's halftime. We still got another half. We can still win it. Yes, we can, Doc. Yes, we can. I'll catch you guys next time on Playing the Field.